and welcome to More Than We Can Chew. I'm Mike Mitchell. Uh, no Matt today, so don't be put off by the title. Uh, if you think this is going to be two idiots making fun of Jesus, it's not. I know this is a very sensitive, uh, serious topic for a lot of people, so I thought it would be wise to bring in an expert to help me make fun of Jesus. Uh, no, this is <laughs> this is actually a semi-serious conversation I had with an old professor I knew back in college, uh, Dr. Craig Martin. He has a PhD in religious studies and teaches religion at St. Thomas Aquinas College, so he seemed like the most qualified person I know to talk about this stuff. And the one thing that struck me when I listened back is that I don't think we mentioned anything about God even once. Uh, Craig might have said something when he was talking about going to church when he was a kid, but mainly we talked about power and the influence that religion can have on society. And um, yeah, you know what? We'll just we'll just get into it. Um, so I hope you enjoy this talk I had with Dr. Craig Martin. <laughs> So obviously you teach religion. Yeah. <laughs> that is your that is your thing. Um, <laughs> what is like your main focus when you teach, or not not necessarily teach, but I, I assume when you when you're teaching at the college level, like you have to be doing some type of research or I do research on the side, but that only it only intersects with my teaching a little bit usually. Right. Well, I guess it's I guess it's hard for religion because when I think of like college professors or PhDs teaching like, you know, you're teaching physics or even or you teach a class in like dark matter and your your <laughs> your your focus is on dark matter or you uh, so something like that. But with religion, it's so I I don't want to say specific, but there are so many different avenues to go down. Yeah. So so is it like you might teach a class in early Christianity, but you your main focus is on like Buddhism or something like does that ever happen? Uh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I teach classes on Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. Okay. But I am most definitely not an expert in all of those. Right. So uh, I definitely have to teach outside my area of expertise. That happens more often at small schools that don't have a big faculty. If we had mm-hmm. a big faculty, we could have an expert on Islam, an expert on right. Hinduism, etc. But because it's a small school, me and Treywick have to teach everything between the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> and so what is your main focus then? For like my research? Yeah. I ask a bunch of theoretical questions. Okay. So uh, my first book was like about politics and religion. Mm-hmm. Not and what like was that called? Masking Hegemony. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> what What is it? Hegemony? Hegemony. Okay. Yeah. I, I like see it in my head, and when I see that word, I always want to say homogony, but that's not the right no, word at no, all. No. <laughs> so what's no. hegemony? Uh, it's pretty close to the meaning of something along the lines of domination. Okay. Um, how groups dominate other groups or individuals dominate, but usually groups. So they, you might say that... Uh, the religious right had a hegemony over American politics in the 1980s or something like gotcha. that. Gotcha. Okay. So masking hegemony, does that mean like how religions mask the way they like rule over things or? Close, close to that. Um, I don't, uh, I mean, my claim is that the way that people talk about separation of church and state mm-hmm. um, 
covers up or masks the influence of religious groups on politics. So, and and <laughs> is that just in America or is that all over? But anywhere where people have like a liberal democracy where they have separation of church and state, individual right. rights, public-private type of stuff, uh-huh. anywhere where that rhetoric functions, I argue that people talk, oh, yeah, we have a separation of church and state, so it's got religion has nothing to do with politics, which is clearly completely false, right? Yeah. Uh, empirically speaking. And, I, and uh, I think that talking about separation of church and state, that whole vocabulary, I don't think is very useful for getting at how power works in a, in a democracy. So I criticize, I mean, it wasn't like a study of religion and politics. It was looking at why does this way of talking about it obscure or mystify the subject matter rather than reveal what's going on. So your main argument is that in general, because of the fact that we say, like we say there's a separation of church and state, but there clearly is not and how how that affects us negatively uh i didn't i mean i have my own views about whether or not i think it's positive or negative in okay the, in the book i didn't make that oh, specific so claim oh, okay. it was just it was just uh we don't understand things very well if we use this vocabulary we should use another vocabulary that would help us understand better uh-huh. how how this works and what what does that vocabulary look like um, I think we should talk about groups that have a hegemony. <laughs> uh, uh, I propose an alternate vocabulary that's probably too technical for the podcast. Well, well, but... like, like, well let's get into it and then we can, yeah. and if I don't understand, which yeah. I probably will, we can break it down because that's, that's really what I want to do is like, yeah. I want to know what this is. And recently I've been, I was doing stuff for WNYC for a little bit, the um, public radio station. Cool. And uh, there I, w- I had to review books, not on the air or anything, but I had to evaluate them to see if they would be good enough to get on the air. Right, right. So every once in a while you would get uh, academic books in. <laughs> and most of the time they're not good for the show because they explain things academically. Yeah, yeah. And you're reading it and you're like, this is cool information, <laughs> but the way this guy is doing it, is not cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm actually, I have strong opinions on that. Uh, cause I think that the world is really, really fucking complicated. Yeah. And when you, when you look at like, nobody opens up a physics book and says, Oh, this is really hard to understand. This author communicates poorly. You just say, well, actually physics is just really fucking complicated. And yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. it's difficult. You, but- you have to have a technical vocabulary because it's so complicated. I would argue that the social world is just as complicated. And if we make it super accessible, we're probably simplifying our analysis uh, and losing the sophistication that we get if you if we use a technical vocabulary. Yes, but there are things to be said that, you know, if you explain it too technically, then lay people like myself won't mm. understand it and will be turned off by it. Right. So you have to find a good balance between technical and explaining it to a dumb person. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say that, you know, some physicists, they're not writing for a general public. They're writing for other physicists. Right. Yeah. Uh, and most of my work is like that, where I'm writing for other scholars, not for the public. Right. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. And and that I, I feel like that is a problem in some way. It's like when you stop writing for the public, not and not that the idea shouldn't get complicated, but the language that creates the ideas, because y- you can say uh, masking hegemony. And not everyone's <laughs> going to know what that means. But if you say obscuring, I don't know, obscuring domination, people know what that means. Yeah, yeah. Or you can even say masking yeah. domination. Yeah. But 
So I definitely think and, that and not, to, not to take it away, not to take the, no, the word yeah. hegemony away from you, but it's just, Oh crap. I can't <laughs> use the H word now. Mike's told me that I'm, he's bound my hands, <laughs> but, um, but just, just a matter of, uh, when you forget that there are other people other than academics, then it becomes a thing of like, Oh, these ideas are only for these smart people. Whereas us, it's actually creating a different class in a way where it's yeah. like these people are above the line of this technical knowledge. Right, right. And well, academia is certainly, I mean, to, to some extent, you're just saying that academia is elitist. And my response <laughs> would be yes, yeah. but it it has to be. If it weren't elitist, it wouldn't be doing academic work. Right, right. Yeah. Now, yeah, but I, I think you're totally right that uh, sometimes people do want to communicate to a popular audience and are they completely fail at that because they can't explain what they're doing um, in any way that's remotely accessible. Yeah. But I, I try to make my ideas as clear as possible, but some of them just can't be made simple because they're they're complicated then i that sounds like i'm be like i'm so smart nobody can understand me which is not what i'm trying right. to say but no, yeah but, but yeah. it's like you're saying like there are complicated ideas and we shouldn't shy away from that yeah but yeah. It's, it's hard to write about complicated ideas in a for a popular audience but i i just think that that's what we should strive to do because yeah. uh well, let me let me try to simplify one specific example. So there's a, a great documentary. Uh, it's dated now. It's probably 10 years old. It was done for uh, PBS's Frontline mm -hmm. called The Last Abortion Clinic. And what mm. the um, what the documentary did was look at why is it that there's only one abortion clinic open in, in, Mrs., in the state of Mississippi? And part of the reason why this was the case is that they passed all these laws restricting abortion clinics. And, and they did them in the name of women health. So what, right. what, what, the, what the people did is they said, we want abortion clinics to be as safe as possible for women, and we're going to have these high standards for uh, the clinic. And they raised the standards so high that no clinic could actually meet the expectations, right. except apparently one. The rest of them closed down. And they, they pretty clearly intentionally did it just because people who work in the Mississippi legislature don't like abortion. Right. And this was a way to get around Roe v. Wade. Yeah, they say, we're helping. No, we're definitely yeah. helping. Yeah. But in fact, it... So I think that a lot of leftists, and, and the reason why this is of interest to me is because I, I support... Um, uh, pro-choice and yeah. I support women's right to have an abortion. Um, although I think that well, my conclusions people could agree with, even if they didn't have the same political sympathies. But so, so I think a lot of leftists are like, oh, how did this happen? We have a separation of church and state. Right. And I was like, well, look, here's what happens. You allow private institutions to socialize people. Freedom of religion means that um, churches can tell people whatever they want on mm -hmm. Sunday mornings and Sunday school, Wednesday nights, whenever they're going to church. Right. And that process of socialization and the distribution of propaganda and ideology, et cetera, has a huge effect so that that, that legislator who grew up going to Sunday school and hearing about how evil abortion was, now they are a legislator and they're voting on their sympathies that mm -hmm. they grew up with. That seems to be to be a consequence of separation of church and state 
rather than a violation of it. Like that's how things work when you allow private institutions to socialize people. Of course, they are going to vote on the basis of their political sympathies down the line. So I I think leftists, again, would be like, oh, we have a separation of church and state. How did this happen? And I would be like, this is just how shit happens in a liberal (laughs) democracy. Right. Uh, Which is funny, too, because the, the way you say liberal democracy, when I think of liberal democracy, it is not the idea of creating laws that restrict women's health. Well, yeah, well when I when I <laughs> yeah, uh, but when I use the word liberal it's um not in like the liberal versus conservative yeah, exactly. sense but in the sense of uh, individual rights. It's a yeah. product of liberal political philosophy from the early modern period. Right, but, right. Yeah, yeah. Um that's very interesting that that something like that occurs because to me it seems like the only way to really have a separation of church and state is to let no one with any religious background into your government because but then that would right. also have its yeah. own biases too. Yeah. I'm certainly I mean you could maybe get around it if you had uh, kind of like the communist regime where what you have is that the state completely controls the processes of socialization right. and you uh, make churches illegal and I'm not saying that's what we should do I'm just right. saying that, <laughs> that is a very... if, you, if you don't do that yeah. then private forces have a great deal of public power, uh-huh. um, and and hence the masking, right? That uh, right. Se- we have a separation of church and state just covers up all of that power that's circulating in our society from mm-hmm. so-called private spheres to public spheres. Does it happen in like a reverse way? In any in any sense, like where. I'm going to say a liberal government in this sense Mm -hmm. actually rules over a religious yeah yeah no um, a religious class or yeah I would say that um, the so I I want to speak in uh, in terms of like their lines of power and directions of force Mm -hmm. in in what do you mean by directions of force like um, there are channels through which power passes in our society it's uh-huh. not just the people at the top control the people at the bottom it's it's way more complicated than that yeah. that power goes in all directions at once yeah yeah there's this kind of classic I- idea of the people at the top are in power of the people on the bottom but actually it's kind of a both ways kind of thing because yeah yeah the exactly people at the top also follow the way the people at the bottom are yeah. behaving if you have a representative democracy to some extent the people at the top at least have to appear to be reflecting the interests right. of the people yeah. at the bottom so yeah i would say they don't get voted yeah yeah again so why introduce this technical vocabulary by talking about how lines of force or directions of power flow through society we can talk about it not just a top-down right. relationship, nor a simplified democratic view where it's just all the people's interests are reflected in the government, because that doesn't happen either. No, uh, yeah, exactly. um, but that we need to be really careful about, in particular contexts, what is the relationship and direction of power here. Mm-hmm. So I think that, uh, I mean, where you have governments that put in place sex ed programs mm-hmm. or governments that put in place, you know, we're going to teach evolution in schools, that right. that shapes public opinion on these mm-hmm. things, which is why they're so hotly contested. That's why private forces, churches, other conservative groups want to refuse the government the right to do those right. things, right? Right, um, So, the, you know, how evolution is taught in Kansas, that's a site for a lot of interplay or interconnection of power lines mm-hmm. that the simple, oh, we have a separation of church and state just doesn't get at at all. Right. So just taking Kansas as, as the example is that the government says, okay, you guys have to teach evolution. And the people of Kansas are saying, 
we don't want to teach evolution because we believe in creationism. See, now you're going to make me look like a dummy because I don't remember all the details. <laughs> I just remember, I think that at one point, Kansas, the school board or whatever that controls the education curriculum, put in place some sort of rule that I think you have to teach creationism or intelligent design alongside evolution. Uh, okay. I don't think they eliminated it, but like did one of these, like we have to have fair treatment and teach both right, sides I of see. the controversy. Now, I'm probably, I probably have that wrong too. But yeah, mm -hmm. this is where um, the there was private forces fought back and i think that they partly won uh, same right. thing happens in texas that the texas uh curriculum choices are super highly politicized right uh and in my opinion conservative nut jobs took over and <laughs> there was a case recently i don't know if you saw this there was a case recently where they referred to slaves that were brought over from africa as immigrants uh. to like to to make um, basically because yeah. it w didn't fit in with their nationalist narrative about how great america is right. so they had to eliminate the slavery part by just referring to them as, as immigrants, immigrants. Forced, um, forced immigrants yeah yeah so that's uh, there were refugees <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. So the, that's another case of where the... They uh, were freedom refugees, <laughs> and they came here to be uh, ruled over because they were just so sick of their freedom. Yeah, yeah, they hated the freedom that they... No. <laughs> oh. uh, um, that's, I did not know about that. That's really funny. Yeah. I, it's horrible, but it's also yeah. completely absurd. Yeah, there was a, it, uh, it, it hit the news a while back because it, it, somebody posted it in a, it was in one of the public school textbooks. Right. And I think as soon as it got national attention, the publisher was like, oh, yeah, we're going to fix that. We're sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think they like kind of backpedaled right. really fast. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, when you, uh, this is the, this is the effect of private forces right. on public institutions institutions right. uh, that we have to pay attention to if we want to understand why is it that people in Texas don't know about slavery now or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. What like got you interested in studying the way power lines work? <laughs> right. Well, that's that's a bad way to say it because that makes you sound like yeah. an electrician. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the way in which uh, the way in which lines of power lines of power yeah. uh, exist in the world. Like, you're a young Craig Martin. You're. <laughs> have you been interested in religion for for a long time, or is it just a long time? Uh, this particular type of interest is something that I acquired when I was in grad school. Mm -hmm. My advisor, uh, I took a class with my advisor on um, Marx and Foucault, um, Karl Marx and yeah. Michel Foucault, which you, you may, you're less likely to have heard of him. But I mean, with Marx, it's it's all about power, right? right Follow right. the money or whatever mm -hmm. it is that we're talking about and how certain power relations between in governments, individuals, private property, capital, the capital owning class, how all these types of things produce certain types of arrangements. Right. That's super abstract. But, but you have to look closely at how the power circulates to understand why we end up with child sweatshops and things like right, that, right? right? It has to do with our organization around capital. Mm -hmm. So um, I took a class on Marx and Foucault that really pushed analyzing power relations in, in society along these lines. I didn't plan to study that 
like long term. It was just a class that I elected because I was interested in Marx and Foucault. Oh, okay. I was supposed well, to. Well, well, okay. <clears throat> so wait, this this was you were already in grad school at this point. Yeah, though. yeah, I was in grad school. But you were in grad school as a religious studies. Yeah, correct? but my interest probably started out more like philosophically. Oh, okay. Um, I was doing philosophy stuff, uh, philosophy of religion stuff, and mm-hmm. and uh, what is what is a philosophy of a religion Ugh. class look like <laughs> like uh, isn't religion philosophy so well, is it i mean traditionally what philosophy of religion looks like is uh let's try to prove whether or not these religious claims are true or false right so god okay. exists can we prove that or can we disprove that or a very uh, like a thomas aquinas kind yeah of, yeah kind of way religion makes us moral can we prove that or is it false right. and investigate that kind of thing and okay. i was interested in those types of abstract questions for a long time uh, less so now, although <laughs> what I'm doing now is probably equally abstract in, in, right. in certain ways. But, uh, yeah, I was going to write a dissertation on two philosophers and what they had to say about religion and society and stuff like that. Uh, but I ended up, the person who was to me, my advisor didn't see eye to eye with me and I ended <laughs> up trashing that, that I had been working on for like five years on this topic. Oh, wow. So I that trashed was... it and I was like, well, I'm kind of interested in religion and politics. Maybe I'll do something on that. <laughs> so... <laughs> After five years, I'll finally, yeah. finally get around to that religion and politics yeah. <laughs> bull crap I've been hearing so much about. Um, uh, where did you go to school? I did my PhD at Syracuse University in okay. upstate New York. Um, and where did you go to school before that? Where did you do your undergrad? I did my undergrad at Anderson University, which is a really small Christian college in, in Indiana. Oh, you went to a Christian college. Yeah. And then I did my master's at a school in uh, Claremont which is uh, in Los Angeles. Okay, so you went to a very Christian school. I'm assuming that was on purpose? Yeah, and I've changed a lot since then. I mean... (laughs) Uh, I had ways. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How how public do I want to be about that? So, uh, I mean, I started out. I wanted. I enrolled in college in a Bible and Christian Ministries program because I wanted to be a minister. Really? Um, But see, I did not know this about after (laughs) (laughs) after four years of studying the Bible. I decided that the contents of the Bible were not what I had been told were the contents of the Bible. Really. and I was like, yeah, this is probably not for me. But once you have a BA in religious studies, what else can you do other than go on to get a graduate degree in <laughs> religious studies? So I, right. I kept pursuing it, but less for devotional reasons and more just because I'm intrinsically interested in, in – uh, I mean, religions are crazy. I'm never bored. Like, it's yeah, always yeah, interesting yeah. and There's fascinating. Always, there, and, and I feel like <laughs> – I mean, maybe it's different for a religious studies professor, but it's it always seems like there's something new about a religion that you never knew before, and you're like, oh, shit, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> That's fucking crazy. There's a, People just really have no idea so much. There was a great video that I saw done recently. Um, I think it was put together by some... Uh, like I think it was in Dutch or something. They mm-hmm. had subtitles. But what they did, uh, what these interviewers did, is they covered up a Bible with a dust jacket from a Quran, ah. and they walked around whatever city it was and were reading verses. Right. And they're like, you know, what do you think of this? And it was like really sexist stuff, yeah, or yeah, like yeah. you know, men having sex with another man is an abomination type of stuff. Right. And the people were like, yeah, that's what Islam is like. <laughs> um. And and then they would be like, so how how is Islam different from Christianity? And most of the people. People that they interviewed that ended up in the video pretty clearly identify with 
Christianity. And they were like, yeah, you know, Christianity is much more about peace and less about homophobia <laughs> and sexism. And yeah. at the very end, they would take the dust jacket yeah. off. And they're like, actually, all that stuff was from the Bible. Bible. And they were like, I had no idea yeah. that was in there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, half of the stuff that I do in my uh, Bible classes is just showing students like what they had no idea was in there. Yeah. Um, which which is probably the entire class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically. Oh. Oh, like, I remember once um, I had this very strange experience when I was in high school. I, I grew up Catholic. And so I have a very tenuous, <laughs> very tenuous relationship right. to uh, religion uh, and Christianity. You, you wouldn't be the first disaffected Catholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. But... Um, I, I was at the beach with my family. Like I was, I'm not a beach person. So I was like, just walking the boardwalk. Yeah. I was probably about like 16 or 15 or 16. And this guy came up to me. And at first I thought like it was two guys and they came up to me. And at first I was like, Oh shit, I'm going to have to fight these dudes. <laughs> and cause I, that's what you normally do at the beach is yeah, fight well, people. <laughs> well, if, if two, like if, if you're just, if you're just a 15 year old kid walking by yourself on the boardwalk, and two bros come up to you and are like, yeah. hey, can we talk to you for a second? You you go into like oh, fight or shit. flight mode for a second. You're like, all right, I either got to like punch this dude in the face or something. I have to jump the guardrail or something. Like something's going to go down. And they were like, um, have you ever read the Bible? And I was like, my, my first response was like, well, I'm Catholic, so no. <laughs> um, because that's what happens. And it was a thing where it's like my family, we went to church, a, not a lot. But, it, like, it wasn't an everyday sort of thing. But, you know, like, you, you go three times a month, sometimes four times a month. So it's like you, you're going to church a lot. Yeah. You, you know, you're doing your weekly yeah. you're doing your weekly allotment. And when I was a kid, we went about three times a week. Really? Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Whoa. Okay, wait, what? You, there's <laughs> a, you, why do you go that many times? Because we love God and <laughs> Jesus and all that stuff. But is, isn't it the same stuff? happening uh, every time i don't know uh, <laughs> sure <laughs> like like if, if you all right so if you go three times a week what is the difference between a sunday morning and a sunday night mass well first they wouldn't call it mass because they're protestants and oh, mass okay. is what the evil catholics do oh, oh right <laughs> right yeah but um i was just about to be like it's the same it's the same eucharist but you guys don't do that either yeah, yeah. um <laughs> yeah we only did uh communion like maybe three or four times a year it was very rarely oh but, um, really yeah and not all protestant churches are the same on that yeah, but yeah, ours, yeah. ours did it rarely but i i don't know yeah it was a lot of the same stuff a lot of it was uh my parents my dad sang my mom played piano so you oh, know a lot of it was okay. we were there for for singing and playing right. and i got you. my dad led the choir for a while so to some extent it just turns into uh, a social activity yeah so so it wasn't even necessarily for worship it was for volunteer purposes <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, that that makes more sense to me a yeah. little bit. I was like three times a week. Jesus, you, and you have kids programs on yeah. Sunday night or Wednesday nights, uh, yeah. which you know have a little bit of Jesus in, but also just eating cookies and running around. Mm -hmm. So okay, so you do your you do your bachelors, but like okay, like I did my I did my bachelors in in math. Um, I was obviously interested in something else, but my first idea wasn't, okay, well, now I have to get a master's in math. <laughs> so, what, yeah. what, so you must have liked it enough to yeah. say to yourself, okay, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go whole, yeah. wholeheartedly into this. Like, 
I mean, part of it was probably a lack of imagination on my part. If I thought about it harder, <laughs> I could have come up with better alternatives. Right. And uh, going to grad school in the humanities is not super smart just because right. it takes up a lot of your time, money, uh-huh. takes a chunk out of your 20s yeah. or 30s, and, uh, <laughs> so, and you so, may not get a job. There are so, so few professorships. Right. Uh, but shit, what was your question? Well, you basically answered it. You said you had a lack of imagination. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, uh, also, yeah. I just, I, I, I love academic study. I mean, I'm sort of like, I read academic books for fun type of right, thing. Right. So. so, okay. So it was just something you're drawn to academia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, even if I didn't pursue religious studies, I could have seen myself going into academia for another, right. another area. In an alternate timeline. Oh, what? man. If I, if I could write a letter to myself when I was... If you could get in a TARDIS and go back to... I'd be like, uh, do sociology, not religious studies, or or maybe political science or something like that. Uh, And why is that? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Just just because? I love those things equally as much as I love religious studies. But but doesn't it... Can you kind of do it with religious studies? Yeah. yeah, Because kind of what you do already is sociology. I I do... I mean, I'm certainly not a sociologist and I'm not doing surveys of groups of people, right, which right. most sociologists do that kind of research. But I do what I do is very sociological in terms of I use social theory right. of uh, how groups work and how power is exchanged and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of what I do is sociological, even if it's not specifically sociology. Mm-hmm. So, so you do your master's at Claremont. And what does a, what does a religious master's look like? Are you basically getting like a crash course in all the different religions or are you kind of looking at... Even though I uh, my interests had changed and I wasn't interested in religious studies from a devotional perspective, my program that I was in was kind of a theological program. So oh, okay. I took classes on the Bible, I took classes on philosophy, and I took classes on theology. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I came out of it kind of like... I know a lot of shit about Western thought from Mm -hmm. the first century to the present um, uh, because we read, you know, Augustine, Aquinas, mm-hmm. uh, all the way up through, and it's very, it's very Christian centric. Uh, yeah, a lot of it was, a lot yeah. of it was, and um, they were pretty open minded. Uh, they were, uh, the the school is pretty ecumenical in that they're they're uh, they're open minded about mm-hmm. stuff. So was it? It wasn't a Christian school though. It was. It, a... it was. It was. Oh, okay. Actually, it. Um, since then, I don't I don't really keep up with what's going on at my alma mater there, but they, they I think that they started a interreligious like chaplaincy program where they oh. train like Muslims and Jews and Christians. So I actually, after I left, became like this interfaith thing. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a Methodist uh, school of theology, but um, it wasn't. I mean. A lot of people there weren't Methodists at right. all. <laughs> were, you, were you Methodist growing up? You were... No, 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 no. Uh, I, I just chose that school because it was recommended to me. I was told that they were open-minded and I could do pretty much whatever I wanted there. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's always a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to, like, beat you over the head <clears throat> yeah, with yeah. <laughs> just whatever they want to teach you. Yeah, it was probably a little bit more like that in my undergrad. Because in my undergrad, um, especially my peers, uh, they gave me the nickname The Heretic because I, because I said things <laughs> That they thought were not sufficiently orthodox. <laughs> right. Um, well, how Christian was the school that you did your undergrad in? Like w- one being like nominally Christian, 10 being like 
uh, mandatory church on Sunday. It's kind of deal. There was uh, there's a mandatory uh, chapel program. You have to go to chapel two times a week, oh, Tuesday geez. and Thursday. I think it was when I was there, and all the students had to sign like this behavioral code that said that they wouldn't have really? pre- premarital sex and they wouldn't drink or smoke while they so, were students. So this is very Christian. <clears throat> yeah, very yeah. Christian. Too. And uh, of course, I mean. I'm not going to say that all the students followed that, (laughs) but, but that's, that's, that gives you a signal of how, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you got pregnant and you weren't married, you could get kicked out of school. It was that kind of school. Okay. So a lot of your classmates then were actually very hardcore in a sense about the Bible. They, they tended to be much more conservative than I was Mm -hmm. when it came to religion and these things. Um, Was, was it just you or is it like a group of you that were like the black sheeps of the Bible program? (laughs) program was small enough yeah. that we couldn't really be black sheeps because you know you're sitting with the same 20 people in every single class right but um uh definitely there's a couple of us i i think i was the only one who got the nickname the heretic though <laughs> um and that was... also because I, I don't have a filter and i'll, I'll right, you know right. raise my hand and say any shit so right, right. i'm sure a lot of other people kept kept it to themselves when they didn't have orthodox views <laughs> i see i see was it just frustration that you had to say these things or it was just kind of like i'm gonna see what kind of reaction i can get i don't know i mean to put it to put a positive spin on it like i i want to call a spade a spade right right right, right. so uh if the text is sexist i'm gonna be like yeah clearly the text is sexist um and uh, i think a lot of other people would be uncomfortable with that so it was like my gut reaction is to tell it like it is type yeah, of thing. Yeah, right, right, right. But I don't know. Maybe I was Social just... Social justice warrior yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, but it could have equally just been, a, you know, I was a narcissist and thought that my <laughs> ideas were the most important. <laughs> so yeah. there's a positive or negative spin we yeah, could yeah, put yeah. on that. <laughs> well, it, well, it is a thing where it's like you're in your tw- you're in your late teens, early 20s. And when, when you're that age, you're like, I have to be right about everything, <laughs> yeah. regardless I, uh... <laughs> of how I feel. When so- I'm... One of my advisors in undergrad used to say something along the lines of, there's nobody smarter in the world than a freshman coming back from the first semester of college. Yes, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Yeah. We'll continue this conversation with Craig next week because we kind of got away from religion and started talking more about what it's like to get a Ph.D., and then go teach at a college. But in the meantime, if you've liked this episode and how we took a more serious approach, you can email us at morethanweekinchew at gmail.com. You can also tweet us suggestions for future serious topics at morethanweekinch, which is more than we can chew without the EW. Craig Martin contributes semi-regularly to Culture on the Edge, a blog written by an academic collective, and can be contacted on his website. Uh, both links are on morethanweekinchew.com. Matt Kenny is available on Twitter at the Matt Kenny, and I'm at O Mike Mitchell. Go ahead and share this episode on whatever social media suits your fancy, because if you like it, someone else probably will too. But we'd appreciate it if you'd hit that subscribe button on iTunes and then give us a five star review in the iTunes Store. We love it when all of that happens because it gives the show more visibility and I'm all for more visibility of this show. So until next time, bye.